I'm feeling good, man. I'm already, I'm already just feeling good in Jesus. So anyway, we are glad you guys are all here. Good morning. We've got a couple weeks to Christmas, and I uh, hope you all are all shopped up and, and ready. All the gifts are wrapped, right? Yeah. Okay. The stunned silence tells me. Anyway, we are going today to, into the New Testament um, in just a little bit. Today, we're, we're covering a lot of stuff, but not a lot of, not a lot of region. Um, in other words, we've been jumping, I think last time we covered uh, about 20 books of the Bible in one message. We're going to cover about four basically, today. But today I want to I really bridge into something, and I want us just to kind of really dig down and uh, understand really who Jesus is. This is one of the great questions in human history, whether, whether you've come to know him and who he is or not. Probably at one point in your life or another, you asked who was Jesus. What's the big deal? And I'm hopeful that I can begin to take the things that maybe you know you've heard and put some flesh on it, and that maybe by the time we're done, you'll see him in a way that maybe you haven't before. But in order to do that, I'm going to need a whole lot of help from Jesus, so we're going to pray. (laughs) So pray with me. So Lord, right now, just come. I thank you that you've been here already, but Lord, I need you. I need your anointing to speak. I need you to, to, uh, to reveal yourself through your word today and to allow for people to catch a fresh vision of you, understanding truly who you are, and that we would begin to step into new levels of faith in you through that. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Last time we talked, we talked about the divided kingdom of Israel, how Israel had been formed, God had conquered the, the promised land for his people, and, and that there was a kingdom that was established called Israel. But sin and um, the worship of other things caused God to, to pull back from his people. Because God, this is the thing that's, that's true about God, God is monogamous. Um, he, he can't have you worshiping other things. And, and what you'll find if you've worked with God for any period of time in your life is that um, he's constantly working in you to like it's, like, it's like winter. Winter, at least in Connecticut, and I'm sure here, every, every spring... There's new stones in your garden. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is that true around here? Because there's something about the frost and the freezing of the soil that somehow, I don't know what it is, but it draws the rocks to the surface. And God in our lives does that. He causes for the idols, the things that are not right in our lives, to come to the surface so that he can have you clear your garden again, 
And then you plant new seed and, and you get a new, you get a new uh, harvest and it all goes awesome and you think, dude, I've finally made it. I graduated. Hallelujah. I'm the, I've become a Christian. And then all of a sudden there's more rocks in your garden. Anyone ever been there other than me? All right. I'm glad there's a couple of you who are not yet perfect. See, but the, the thing is, we've got to clear the, the garden. God can't have us worshiping things that are not him. And, and this is the one thing I want you to understand, though, that even in the midst of the darkness, as Israel is, is brought into captivity and they're, they're taken into Assyria or they're taken into Babylon, God is still working to bring them back into promise. So much so, and I want you to catch this, this is, so, this is so amazing to me. Isaiah 45 is one of the most important prophecies in the entire Bible. Um, there's a lot of people who question the validity of the word of God. Anybody know anybody like that? Yes, if you didn't raise your hand, you are lying or lazy. You don't want to raise your hand. Um, because... Because that's the natural question. It's like, oh, well, that's been passed down through centuries. And oh, well, that was just written by men. Anyone ever hear anything like that? Yeah, okay. Um, this one verse, these, these couple verses kind of throw that out the window. Because Isaiah was written about 700 years before Jesus. And he prophesies a whole lot about Jesus. But he was also prophesying about 300 years before the man he mentions specifically. Check this out. Verse 1 says, This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him, to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains and will break down the gates of bronze and will cut the bars of iron. I will give you the hidden treasures Riches stored in secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summoned you, hear this, by name. Now listen to why. Verse 4. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. Verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is no other apart from me. There is no God. I will strengthen you, though you don't acknowledge me. Cyrus, for those of you who don't know world history, um, we talked about how Israel was divided into Syria and into Babylon, two separate kingdoms. Um, because of Babylon's corruption and evil, God judged Babylon, particularly for how they treated the temple, how they treated God's people. And so they were judged and brought into subjection to another kingdom called Persia. And Persia's king was named Cyrus. That prophecy that we read occurred 300 years, was written 300 years before Cyrus was born. I think that's pretty good. If you get up and you give a word today... And, and you mention someone by name who becomes a world power in 300 years, I want to shake your hand. Because guess what? You heard from Jesus. <laughs> that's pretty good proof. And there's a lot of proofs in the scriptures, but that's a key one. Uh, today, you can actually go to the British Museum in London, England and see the Cyrus Cylinder. 
which is where Cyrus actually commands that Israel be restored to the promised land. Second Chronicles records it, Second Chronicles 36, 22 through 23. It says, now in the year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, in order to fulfill, hear that, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, Jeremiah said that they would be in captivity for 70 years. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia. So they sent a proclamation throughout his kingdom and put in words saying, thus says the Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And whosoever is among you of all of his people may go, excuse me, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Cyrus literally declares that he's going to build him a temple, and he does. He's going to restore the nation, and he does. Now, the question for a lot of people, and this is where I need you to connect the dots right now, because this is where we are connected to Israel. Because there's a lot of uh, lack of understanding in the church today about how we connect with Israel. Israel is for lack of a better way to put it, like our mother. It's the mother through which the church was born. Israel had to be restored. There had to be a temple so that Jesus could show up. There had to be a covenant community. In other words, a covenant family built around worship of the one true and living God so that Jesus could come into that community and fulfill his purpose in redeeming the world. Did you know that in, in the Old Testament, there are at least, at least, 353 prophecies about Jesus that he fulfilled? Um, I could give you a whole long list. Here's just a few. He was born of a virgin. It's mentioned in Isaiah 7, 4. It's fulfilled in Matthew 1, 18. He's born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. It's fulfilled in Matthew 2, 1. He shall be called Emmanuel. That's Isaiah 4, 7, 14. He, that's fulfilled in Matthew 1, 23. He's preceded by a witness, a messenger named John the Baptist, as we know him today. They only knew he was going to be a messenger in Isaiah 40. Verse 3, but he's recording each of the Gospels. Jesus was to have a miracle ministry. That's prophesied in Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. We all know the stories. During his Passion Week, he enters Jerusalem on a donkey, Zechariah 9, 9. That's fulfilled in Luke 19, 35 through 37. He's betrayed by a friend we know as Judas in Psalm Chapter 41, verse 9, and that's fulfilled in John 13, 21. He sold for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah eleven twelve, 12, fulfilled in Matthew 26, 15. He's beaten and spit upon in Isaiah 50, verse 6, and that's fulfilled in Matthew 27, 30. He's wounded and bruised, Matthew, or excuse me, Isaiah 53, verse 5. And fulfilled in Matthew 27, 26. His, he's pierced in his hands and his feet. In Psalm 22, verse 16. 
and is fulfilled in John 20, 25. He's crucified with thieves in Isaiah 53, 12, and it happens in history in Matthew 27, 38. He's buried in a rich man's tomb in Isaiah 53 and 9. And that happens in history in Matthew 27, 38. He's resurrected in Psalm 16, verse 10. And it's recorded in the end of each of the Gospels and in Acts chapter 2, verse 31. And he ascended into heaven. Psalm 68, verse 18. And Acts 1, 9 is when the disciples saw him go into the clouds. That's just the smallest bite of God's word. That's the smallest sampling. I I think I gave you literally like 12 different prophecies. But those are the ones that even even if you only ever heard the Christmas story, you probably know those. Those are just an example of of who Jesus was, who he was to be. There was all of history. All of history is about a cross and a Christ upon it. It's not just this book. All of this book is about Jesus. It says in, in John 1, Verses 1 through 4, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was at the beginning with God, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and we could go on and on. This book is all about Jesus. But more than that, I want you to hear me. All of history is about Jesus. Some of us have wondered, there have been people who through the ages have felt like it was somehow unfair that, that God would allow for all of the people before Christ who did not grow up a Jew to not hear the gospel, to not have an opportunity to, to know him that way like we do today. I want you to understand that from the point of creation until the time of Christ, that there is estimated as only 250 million people ever lived. 250 people ever from creation to Christ. Today, the United States has more than 250 million people. God literally came at a time, it says in Scripture, that that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. God sent his Son at a time in history, right before we started having just astronomical growth in in population. He set himself in the place that the most amount of people in the world would be able to hear his message, to find salvation, to know him as king. But I want you to hear this. Why is it that there's 353 prophecies about Jesus? Well, there are two key prophecies that I did not give you that that are going to answer those questions. The first tells us who Jesus really was. And for all of you who checked out with me on to this point, check back in right now. If If you're not used to church, give me the next five minutes. Just give me five minutes. You can go to, just, if the person next to you is sleeping, nudge them right now. Say, just, just, pastor says he needs five minutes. You can go back to sleep in five minutes, okay? 
Who is Jesus? This is why everything, this is why the whole thing matters. Isaiah 9 and 6 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. We sang that this morning. Thank you, Chris. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, this, this child, this son, was going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Who is it that came, folks? Who is it that came is what matters. Who is it that came is, is why we're in this room. Who is it that came is why you felt what you felt this morning. Because the reality is that there's a lot of religions in the world today. You can go and and, and worship in a bunch of different ways. And and if you want to, you can go out and find someone that's going to be exactly your flavor. They're going to allow exactly what you want. They're going to allow you to do the things that you really want to do. You're going to be able to live however you want. But the reality is this, folks. The reason that you felt what you felt this morning is the one that came was God himself. You see, a lot of times people want to to look at Jesus accusingly or, or look at Christianity with accusation. And they go, oh, so there's only one way to heaven. Oh, there's, there's only one way to be saved. So I've got to be exactly like you to make it. It sounds elitist, doesn't it? It sounds self-righteous. Unless it's true. When we put on the lens, when we take off our judgment, and we take off our prejudices and our presuppositions of, of who God is and how he should work, because we all think about how he should work, we have an opinion. And if we put on, for just a moment, And just think for a second. Take off those lenses of our judgment and put them down and see that if this message is true, if this Christian thing is real, then the God who created us, that we rebelled against, if you go back to the first message I preached in this series, that we rebelled against, that we told, basically, I'm going to do it my way. Anyone ever do that? Anyone ever tell God, I'm going to do it my way? Yeah, I tried that once or 500 times. And yeah, it went about as well as you're imagining right now. Adam and Eve told God, I'm going to do it my way. But see, this is the thing. God didn't give up on his kids. God loved you so much that God came. Jesus, instead of just washing his hands of humanity and being judging and condemning, he could have just left us in our mess. But instead, what does he do? He changes And he changes literally his nature from being spirit to become a man so that he can come and die on a cross and rescue us from our sin. He goes, folks, he is not the judger. He's not here to condemn us. He gets in our mess with us and says, come on. He says, I love you. I'm in the middle of it with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'll never forsake you. 
just, just grab my hand and let's walk forward together. Is that cool? You see, gang, the thing that's crazy, <laughs> for all those that want to throw stones at this idea that you have to be saved through Jesus, the amazing thing is, and I'll say it like this for your sakes, because I know the answer, but if it was true, imagine his love for getting into the mess with you to rescue you and take you out. He loves you. God himself came to rescue us. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says it this way. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Think about that. He reconciled the world to himself. You were his enemy. And he said, come on, I'll get in the middle. I'll reconcile us so that we can have relationship. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us a wonderful message of reconciliation. He is God. When John the Baptist is coming, the the Isaiah 40 prophecy I mentioned, it says, A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord there is capitalized in the the Hebrew, in, in the Hebrew translation. It is literally the name of God. It is God himself who came, folks. He rescued us himself. But I want you to hear me. It, it, it is that God himself came. That is the difference. That is why this Christian thing matters. That's why it's such an amazing message. But this next portion tells you what Jesus came to do. And this is the second portion of Isaiah 9. 9 7 says this Of the greatness of his government and of his peace. There'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I want you to understand this. This kingdom of God, this kingdom of peace, this gospel message is not, hear me, it is not a message that condemns. I want to talk to my brothers and sisters for just a moment here. This is just for those that call themselves Christians in the room. If you are walking around condemning sinners because they sin, you are not looking like Jesus. Jesus didn't come to create judgment at this point in history. There will be a day that he will sit on the throne and judge all the earth's population from Adam to the last man who ever will live. That's called the judgment seat of Christ. That's a different place. Right now, God's sitting there going, I paid for it all, just come on. It's not about how good you can be. I know we got folks in this room that know people. Some of them may be in this room. Maybe your wife flat out, like, drugged you, threw you in the truck, and dragged your butt here. 
And, and when I said to nudge the person next to you to wake up for the next five minutes, she was hoping that the drugs had worn off so you could wake up. Because <laughs> there's folks that won't come to church because they feel like they've got to get it all right. They feel like they've got to be perfect. They've got to be good. I can't go to church, Pastor. If I show up at your church, lightning will strike. There'll be an earthquake. Right? I mean, how many of, I know that all of you have heard that excuse when you, you invited somebody to church. Oh, I can't come. I know that we're like 300 miles from the Atlantic Ocean, but there'll be a tsunami and it will sweep us all away. But see, that just shows that we think, we think that somehow we have to be right to be right with him. And this is the awesome thing, gang, is that Jesus was right. He was perfect. And and he hung out, scripture says, with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. Now, I know for sure that if your pastor hung out with those kinds of folks, people would be talking. (laughs) But that's who our Savior hung out with. And the message is this. It's it's that you don't have to be right to get right with me, is what God's saying. Jesus was the perfect person. He was God in flesh. The reason that God had to come is because none of us could be good enough on our own. Jesus is the word made flesh, and so he lives perfectly. He never sins. he's, He's blameless and without fault. And he dies And gives his faultless life so that he can take all of our mess, all of our junk, all of our sin, all of our darkness, all of our corruption, all of our addictions, all of our mess, and heal it. We don't have to be right. We just have to come to him. And when we do... He says that his kingdom is a kingdom of peace. I've come to realize many years ago that the, that the extent of our action as humans, the things that we do, whether it be jumping out of an airplane, scuba diving with big old sharks, if it be just drinking some alcohol or smoking some weed or having, cover the little kid's ears, some sex outside of marriage. All those things, all those things are just to give you a moment of peace. But wouldn't it be cool if you could live in peace? If what you were part of was a kingdom of peace? Because that's what Jesus came to give. So what does all this mean? It means a couple things. I'm getting kind of close to wrapping up. Don't come up yet, Ben, because otherwise you'd be standing here for about 10 minutes. But what all this means, gang, is, is a couple things. 
it means that Jesus loved you enough to get into your mess, and he wants to rescue you. But it also means this, and I want you to hear me. It means that this Jesus, this Messiah, became king. This is important because everybody equates, even in one of the songs we sang today, it seems to equate Messiah with Savior. Anyone else kind of make that connection? I know I used to. Messiah equals Savior. That's not it. Messiah equals king. It means anointed king. And the reason that that's so important is this. If he's king, he rules. And if he rules, he's got power. And if he's got power, he can meet you where you are and bring healing there. I really do believe, folks, that the reason that this message is not preached often, there's not a lot of people who preach Messiah equals king. There's not a lot of people who preach Jesus as as God. A lot of people preach Jesus as Savior. And he's going to save you from your sins, and that's true. And he's going to save you, and you're going to go to heaven, and that's true. But there's a big difference between him being just my Savior and him being king. Because if he's king, he can act. In power. See, I'll be honest, guys. The devil is not overly concerned about you just so long as you keep Jesus just your Savior. He doesn't like that you're going to heaven, but you are anyway. Right? Punch your ticket. Anybody punch your ticket? There was an altar one day, and you gave your life to Jesus. And he came and flooded into your life. And he made all the difference. We're going to hear about that in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to ask a couple of people that may be in this room right now to talk about what God's done in your life, how he's changed you. Because nobody, nobody knows like you know what God has done for you. See, but you can punch your ticket and be going to heaven, and that's all great. It's it's pitifully important, but, but this is the thing. If we're just going to heaven, then what about the kingdom right now? See, God wants to take this whole group of people, everybody that's part of new life, or anybody that's going to be part of new life, as we're going forward, because God's taking us somewhere, folks, as a church. God wants us to stop being satisfied with having a Savior. He wants us to start stepping into the throne room of the King. And to start asking for the things that we need. Scripture says this, that we have access to Him in the time of trouble by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have access because we've been bought. We are saved. We've been purchased by this blood of the Lamb, this Jesus Christ, this God in flesh who came to die for us. We are purchased. And because of that, we have access to the throne. We have access. Understand this. Why would you go to the throne? You go to the throne to get something. Gang, it's time for us to stop 
just being saved. It's time for us to become people of the kingdom that are moving it forward, that are changing eternities because we are stepping into our role as children of God. I want you to hear me. Messiah, Jesus called Messiah means that God became king on earth. That's why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a fulfillment of the first, the first of all prophecies, gang. Genesis 3.15. If you want to know how far back God started pointing toward Jesus, you only have to go to the third chapter of the first book in this big old long, what, thousand-page book I got, however many pages it is. Second page, folks. Starts dealing with Jesus. God speaking to the serpent right after Eve had eaten the fruit and given it to her husband and they had fallen into sin, that they had broken their world and they're standing around realizing they're naked, hiding in their shame in the trees. God says this to the serpent, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. The seed of the woman is referenced to the virgin birth, folks, because if you know anything about biology, seed doesn't come from the girls. They have eggs. It's us boys that got seed. You talk about the seed of the woman. It's referring all the way down about 4,000 years to a little teenage girl named Mary, that would be visited by an angel, that would be told that she'd be overshadowed by the power of God. And that this child, this, this son that she would conceive without a man, that he would reign on his father David's throne. Joseph is told that he will save his people from their sins, and so you will name him Jesus. This is that son who restored humanity to our first purpose. How? Through his cross. Hebrews 2 and 14 says it this way. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, meaning Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death That is the devil. I want you to hear me. Because Jesus died for you, death has no power over you. You have eternal life right now if you choose him. The kingdom is yours. But today, so many of us, we might be overtaken by life. Life is tragic and hard. This week, on Thursday, I went to the wake of an eight-year-old girl here in town. 
broke my heart. This life is hard. Some have said, life sucks and then you die. Well, that's true to a point. Life sucks, but then you can find Jesus. And then it doesn't suck as bad as it used to. (laughs) You might have trouble. You might have struggle. But this is the thing. He is there with you. He's there with you. And he's taking you somewhere. You might be in the valley of the shadow of death now, but he's leading you back to another place where there's green pastures and still waters. He cares about where you are, and he wants to rescue you from your wandering. I wonder if anybody in this room right now, you've been wandering, you know you've been wandering, you know you've been having trouble, and you want this this victory that's in Christ. You want this king, this Messiah, to really come into your life. Maybe even some folks in here that have been saved, but you're tired of just being saved. You want God to reign. Right now, just, just lift your hands. If that's you, if you, need, if you need salvation, lift your hands too. But if you want God to reign, just lift your hands. I'm just going to pray for you. Father, right now we come to you. We surrender everything. Yes, Lord, we ask you to forgive us of our sins. Yes, Lord, we ask you to cleanse our hearts. Yes, we ask you to to come and be our Savior. Yes. But more than that today, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come and be Messiah. I ask you to come and be King. I ask you to come and reign and let my life begin to line up and let me become an agent of change in this world for you. That your glory would shine and that you would bring people into your kingdom of peace past all the hurts and all the pain and all the suffering that would be in this world, all the trouble and tribulations that we've come through. Lord God, bring them into your kingdom of peace and let me be your agent of the kingdom that lets them see you reign. Bring your power. Bring your healing. Bring your deliverance. In Jesus' name, amen. If anybody today, if anybody today wants prayer, you want deliverance, you could just be sad. You don't have to, for everybody else, everybody who, who doesn't come up here today, don't try to take the temperature of the people who do. You're not their doctor. You don't have to diagnose their problem. What you do have to do is pray. So let's just put that all on the side. If you're addicted to a mess and your life is jacked up, get up here. And if you just need deliverance from some pride, come up here. If you just need to get your appetites under control, get up here. 
If you just need deliverance from just a little sadness, it's not depression, it's not crazy overwhelming you, come. If you need deliverance, I just want to say this, guys. The king is in the house. (laughs) And because he's here, stuff is going to happen. Haven't you dealt with this junk for too long? If anybody wants deliverance, come on up. We'll pray for you. And God's going to set you free. Amen. Let's stand and, and worship.
Sunday coming, and if you need to go into the other room, you just go right ahead. But if you want ministry, come on. This is this is a unique moment in some of your lives. I'm just going to pray for you one more time. Lord, do bless the food. Take care of that right now. Just bless it and let us have a good time and let it be great in Jesus' name. But this is the thing. Right now, right now, if you just, just lift your hands. Just receive this. Just receive this. Right now, in Jesus' name, I declare by the power of the victory of Calvary and by the authority of the Word of God, in the name of Jesus, you will become the person that God created you to be. I rebuke every obstacle and every fear, and every intimidation. And I declare their knees must bow to the King. And I declare it's done from this point forward, Lord, for everybody in this room today. In Jesus' name, and for the kiddos that are up there, and for their teachers, we declare it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, gang, I love you. 
If you need to come up for ministry, come on. If you need to go into the, the room, then go into the fellowship hall. You can start eating right away. I've already prayed. But if you need ministry, come on. If you are going to go, go ahead. But take conversation out because God's moving.